0: And so this morning, I actually want to teach kind of a discipleship-oriented lesson. We'll, We'll take a break from our Roman series this morning. And I want to actually have us look at the book of Genesis, chapter 14. And so if you've got a Bible, if you're watching online, I'll give you just a second to kind of flip the page to Genesis 14 or pull up your phone app, your Bible app on your phone. This morning, I want to talk about being prepared for war. And really, that's what discipleship is. It's being engaged in spiritual warfare. And uh, we're in a battle, and, and we have an adversary, uh, and there are some, some, some tremendous things that we can learn from this Old Testament passage, specifically about discipleship as it relates to us individually, as it relates to our church. And so uh, let's read Genesis 14. We're going to start in verse 8 and read down to verse 16, and you'll see some of these verses on the screen. And, and again, just follow along in your Bible at home. Genesis 14, verse 8 says, There went out the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, the same as Zor, and they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. And when uh, Kedolermer, I always get that name wrong, uh, the king of Elam, and with title king of nations, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings. With five, in other words, four kings are, are fighting against five kings, and the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain, and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals, and went their way, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed, and there came one that had escaped, and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt. In the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and he smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods also, and brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. And, and some of you are right now probably looking at your Bible saying, what in the world does this have to do with discipleship? And I'm glad you asked, because, because we're going to learn from this Old Testament passage that we need to be prepared for war. Because that's what discipleship is. So I'm going to pray. We're going to get in the Word of God a few minutes this morning, and, uh, and then we'll be done. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for the time that we have. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for DiscipleConf. We thank you for uh, the, the changed lives and the testimonies that we heard this morning, that, that people were impacted by your Word to be about your business. And so as we study this morning, God, will you just put a bow uh, on the week will you put a bow on the disciple conference and our church's mind and heart and lord help us to become more focused on making disciples of all nations god teach us from your word through your holy spirit we love you and we ask it in christ's name amen well what we're what we're, what we're coming upon in genesis chapter 14 is an old testament passage and Uh, What we see literally is a couple of things. Number one, we see that the Abrahamic covenant is still in in effect. That started in Genesis 12. And so God is dealing with Abram. He's dealing with a man that has been called out, whom God has blessed. And and we're really dealing in a kingdom of heaven context. God's going to establish the literal uh, kingdom through Abraham and his lineage through isaac and through jacob and so historically that's what's happening in genesis 14. Uh, god is using abram as, as a called out person to establish the literal physical kingdom of heaven so to speak but doctrinally when we get to genesis 14 what we have is some interesting observations number one this is the first mention of the word hebrew in all of the bible abram is called an hebrew in Genesis 14. And what's happening is there are Gentile nations that are warring with each other, but there are some Gentile nations that are confederate with Abram, the Hebrew. And, 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 and so what we have doctrinally in Genesis 14 really is a picture, what, we have a picture of Gentile nations warring with each other and warring with Abram and actually taking his brother captive, Lot, what we have is a picture of, of literally Armageddon all the way back in Genesis 14. We have Abram, whose brother is taken captive and yet delivered. And Abram in this picture or type is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. His brother is taken captive, the nation of Israel. And what we see in Genesis 14 is God's, God's view of the Gentile nations as he'll view them in Matthew 25 as sheep nations and goat nations and how they and how they either accept or reject the Jew. And so there's a, there's a strong doctrinal teaching in Genesis 14. But I also want you to understand that in Genesis 14, it's the very first mention of war in the whole Bible. Where these Gentile kings are warring against each other. You actually find the word in verse 2. We didn't, we didn't read verse 2, but the entire passage uh, flows together. And so this is the first mention of the word war in the entire Bible. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to take an inspirational application because the truth is we are engaged in a war, not a physical war as Christians, but we are engaged in spiritual warfare. And so God is going to use an Old Testament example, the first example of war, to teach us a spiritual application for our own life. And and if we would look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul echoes this in the New Testament he tells us, "This charge I commit unto thee, uh, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before thee, that thou mightest by them war a good warfare." In other words, Paul is writing to his disciple Timothy, and he's telling him, "Hey, listen! As a as a child of God, as a Christian who's involved in ministry, you're in a war, and because you're in a war, you need to learn how to war a good warfare." In other words, you want to win the war. You don't want to be on the losing side of this spiritual warfare. And so as we look at this Old Testament passage, and as we look at a kingdom of heaven context, we're going to take practical application or personal application in our life on how to war this spiritual warfare properly. Because God's desire is that we as Christians war a good warfare. God's desire is that we war in a way that we're victorious, and, and not only are we victorious, but we're able to see the captives that have been taken hostage, we're, we're able to see them delivered back because of the way that we wore, and, and so there's going to be a tremendous picture that we'll see in Genesis chapter 14, and so again, this is a picture or a type of the ministry of discipleship that we're called into. And so number one in your notes, if you're following along and, and maybe you printed the uh, PDF of notes out uh, this morning, I want to give you number one, the motivation of our warfare. The motivation of our warfare. And, and if you go back to verses 11 and 12, we see that there were some evil kings that were victorious and those kings took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and their victuals and they went their way and they took Lot Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom because of his goods, and they departed. And we also know from verse 16 that there were, there were some other people taken captive. There were women and there were other people that were taken captive. And so here's the point. We need to be motivated to get engaged in the battle, because number one, there are captives that have been taken hostage. There have captives there have been captives that have been taken hostage in this spiritual warfare. And many of us know if we study the Bible. Listen, Lot is a picture of a backslidden Christian. He's a picture of a man that 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 lusted after his eyes. He chose the plains of Sodom because they were green and they were well watered, and he separated from Abram and he chose to go to Sodom. And and we know from the Word of God that Sodom is a is a horrible place. It's an evil place full of wicked men. And and so Lot is a picture of a backslidden Christian. But he's also a picture of a lost man that only knows how to walk according to the lust of his flesh. And and so this, this man, Lot, because he was in Sodom, was on the receiving end of a battle that ended up in his captivity. He ended up in captivity because of the choices that he made. And what a great picture of how sin can lead us into captivity. We, we have a devil, we have an adversary that wants to see us in bondage to sin. And, and so Lot is taken captive. And again, as we look at verse 16, the Bible also says that there are some women that are taken captive. And, and, and that's very interesting to me because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul writes to Timothy and he talks about the last days, he says that, that he says that these last days are going to be really bad. As a matter of fact, he says they're going to be perilous. He said men are going to love their own selves. They're going to be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. I'm sure that's not happening in anyone's home, right? Unthankful, unholy. And he talks about how these men are going to be wicked. They're going to have a form of godliness in verse 5. but They're not going to have any power in their life. And then he says in that same passage that these type of people are going to creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins. They're going to be led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And and again, it, it is very interesting that in Genesis 14, Lot is taken captive, but there's also a group of women taken captive. And you say, Jay, well, that's kind of uh, what, do you, what do you really mean by that? Well, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3, there was a woman that was deceived and taken captive into sin, and her name was Eve. And the reason that she was taken into sin is because there was a devil that showed up, the serpent that showed up, that, that caused her to question God's word. And, and because of the false teaching and the false doctrine of the adversary, Eve was taken captive in her sin. It wrecked her life. It ruined her, and it led her away from the truth of God's Word. And, and the truth is, just as, as real as there are lost people that are taken captive in their sin because of the devil, listen, there are people that are just spiritually being deceived by false teachers, by false prophets. You know, uh, it, it talks about how these, these evil teachers will creep into houses You know, the churches today in in 21st century Christianity, they're full of of false teachers and false prophets. And there's people that are leading God's people away from the truth. And they're leading them into captivity. People that are ever learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so listen, we ought to be burdened that there are lost people that don't know Christ. We ought to be burdened that there are people being led away with false doctrine... In order to motivate us to get engaged in the warfare. And then number three, we see from verse 16 that there are some other people that were taken captive. And, and those people could have been Lot's people. But the truth is, they're probably the people of Sodom itself. And, and, so, and so in Genesis 13, uh, we know that the, the men of Sodom are wicked. They're sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And so, man, these wicked people, they've been taken captive by the adversary. And you would say, well, they're the men of Sodom, they deserve that. Well, hold on just a second, because because the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 that all of us in our sin were full of wickedness. We were full of wicked works. God even tells us that in Colossians 1 and verse 21 that we were sometimes alienated and enemies in our minds by wicked works. And that's all of us. Before we knew Christ, we were, we were enemies of God, we were wicked in our sin, and yet God loved us enough to reconcile us from our sin, and to save us, and deliver us from the captivity of sin. And so, and so what God is doing this morning is showing us that there are people that are captive that need to be delivered, because we have an adversary that's on attack. We know from 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 that the devil is is our adversary. He's as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. We know that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that the devil takes people captive. It says in verse 26 that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. The devil is taking people captive in this world because of their sin by false doctrine, and because of their wickedness. And that ought to burden us. That ought to motivate us. It ought to challenge us to get involved, to see people come to Christ. And it blows my mind in Christianity sometimes where we were once the captive. And and we were once the one being held hostage by the adversary. And somebody brought the message of the gospel to us. Somebody brought the message of salvation to us, and we experience deliverance from that. And yet we forget that there are other people, man, in the concentration camp, in the hostage camps, being held against their will because there's an adversary. John chapter 10 tells us that the devil himself is a thief, and he comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so we have an adversary, and that ought to motivate us to get engaged in the battle for the souls of men and for the word of God. And, and, and that should be our first motivation, but that's not our primary motivation because the second reason is really the most important reason. The second reason we ought to get motivated to get involved in the ministry is because, number two, it pleases God. It pleases God. And, and that's a very simple uh, point, but I think it's the most important point that we'll study this morning. Why engage in the battle for the souls of men? Why risk putting ourselves in harm's way? Why risk facing the adversary face-on in the ministry that God's called us to? Well, the very simple answer is because it pleases God. And so anything that pleases God ought to be first and foremost in our life as a child of God. I want you to look at 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4 with me. And it's on the screen. The Bible says, No man that warreth." entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. And then Paul gives clarity to the statement. He says, listen, when we war in this warfare, we have to be good soldiers. We have to fight a certain way. We can't get tangled up with things that distract us. But he gives us the reason why. And the why is the last half of the verse. That he, the good soldier, may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And I just want you to understand this morning that at the moment of salvation, listen, you and I were enlisted in God's army. You were drafted into God's army for service to please Almighty God. It pleases God. When we engage in this battle for the souls of men, for the word of God, it ultimately, that's what brings God glory. And I would dare say that that's probably one of the only things that brings God glory, that we go and that we bear much fruit. John 15 and verse 16 says, Ye have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And so here's the way it works. Listen, when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, we chose to receive Christ. We chose to receive His forgiveness, His salvation. At that moment, Jesus Christ chose us, And specifically, he chose us to be engaged in this warfare, to be engaged in the battle for the souls of men and for the Word of God, for his glory's sake. And that happened at at an instant. It happened at the moment of salvation. And maybe you're listening this morning or watching online, and, and maybe you're a new Christian. I want you to understand, listen, this is the point. This is the purpose for your salvation, it's so that you can please God with your life because God wants to use you in the ministry. And maybe some of you are watching this morning and you've been saved a long time and you've gotten really good at church attendance. But that's about as far as it's gotten in your life. You've not really actively engaged yourself in the battle. Can I just tell you that the thing that pleases God is that you wore the right way. That you engage in the battle the right way because God has chosen us to be soldiers. I don't get the choice. God chose, and he's God. And so because he chose, listen, he's right, and he's always worth being right with. And so as we get into this story this morning, I want you to, number one, understand the motivation. Listen, there are people that are lost. They're dying and go to hell every day. Listen, there are people that are, that are being swayed by false doctrine, and that ought to burden us. But the greater motivating factor for us as a child of God is listen it pleases God and he's chosen us to be soldiers in his army we got to get serious about the battle and so then number two this morning I want to show you the strategy for our warfare the strategy for our warfare because what we're going to see out of Abram's life is a very specific strategy how did God use him to recover those people that were taken captive And I think here's the bulk of the message this morning. The bulk of the message is is seeing this Old Testament picture of how God used a certain group of people to go to war on Abram's behalf. And so if you'll pick it up in verse 14, the Bible says, And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants. And, and, and so, listen, we've, we've heard, we just heard in the previous point that there are some people taken captive. Man, there are lots in this world. There are people in this world. There are women being deceived in this world, so to speak. And, and so, listen, once we hear that in order to motivate us, here's what Abram did. Number one, he called his servants that were born, that were born in, in his own house This is who God wants to use to see the captives delivered. He wants to see servants that are born in in his own house get engaged in the battle. And so this is a great picture in the Old Testament of discipleship. And and here's a key you got to get in your notes. Listen, discipleship always begins with evangelism. It always begins with evangelism. We can't lose the emphasis that we're called to go out and preach the gospel and that's every one of us. That's the basic training that every Christian should have. And so it, it doesn't matter where you serve in the body of Christ. God has called us all to preach the gospel. And, and, and so listen, obviously Abram has servants that are born in his house. But again, the Old Testament picture is the fact that, man, we are born into a house as well. As a matter of fact, 1 Timothy 3 tells us that we're born into the house of God. 1 Timothy 3, verse 15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so when we get saved, listen, we're born again. And we become sons of God. We're born into the house of God. And so, man, that's a, that's a tremendous privilege that we have. That, that, is, that is unexplainable. The fact that when we get saved, number one, we become a son of God. We become a child of God. Uh, man, that's a tremendous honor and blessing that we don't deserve. But let me also help us understand that, that just as much as our spiritual birth makes us a son, our spiritual birth also makes us a servant in God's house. You see, we have sonship in Christ, but we also have servanthood in Christ And and we won't take the time, but man, when you read the Bible, there are so many people that considered themselves and called themselves the servant of the Lord. In Joshua chapter 1, Moses was called the servant of the Lord. In Joshua 24, Joshua was called the servant of the Lord. In Romans 1, Paul is called a servant of Jesus Christ. In Philippians, Paul and Timotheus are called the servants of of Jesus Christ Christ. Epaphras is called the servant of Christ in Colossians 4. James, in James chapter 1, James is called a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Here's the point. God is looking for sons, but he's also looking for sons who are servants. That's who God wants to use to reach those that are, that are captive. And so here's the problem that we have and our churches, listen, the problem we have is that many times we get so wrapped up in our identity. Man, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. You are. And thank God for that, that blessing and that privilege. But sometimes we get so wrapped up in our identity, we forget our purpose. We forget our purpose. You see, we're saved to be sons, and we're sons to be servants. And, and so God is showing us from the Old Testament. Listen, God's showing us. That number one, Abram is going to use servants that were born in his house to reach the captives. Number two, he's showing us that he's going to use servants that have been trained. Servants that have been trained. He says that man, listen, he, he goes into his household and he looks for those servants that have been trained in his own house. And that's a great picture of equipping That's a great picture of discipleship. It's a great picture of ministry training that should happen in a local church context. Uh, Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Let me read this verse. It says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And many times we look at that verse and we talk about how we're to raise our children, right? It's It's a good verse for parenting. And it is. But remember... We also have sons of God being born in the house of God, in the church, in the body of Christ. And those children need to be trained up. And, and without taking the time, many of you that are watching this know that there are seven stages of spiritual growth. It starts with a babe in Christ. And then we grow a little bit. We become a, we become a little child. And then we become a child. And then God says that we need to train up a child so that he, he can become a spiritual young man. That fourth stage of spiritual growth. You know That young man is someone who's, who's strong in the Word of God. The Word of God abides in him. He's able to overcome the wicked one. And, and so as it relates to our church, listen, discipleship is for every born-again believer. When you get saved and you become a child of God and you come into the house of God, you need to be trained. You need to be discipled. You need to go through ministry tools and training so that you can be skilled and proven and practiced so that you can get engaged in the battle. That's what it's all about. So, discipleship for the child of God, for the servant of God, is not optional. It's the basic training of Christianity. You know, the sad reality is that our churches, many of our churches, including this one, have become a harbor for AWOL Christians. There are a lot of people that come and just sit and hide in our churches, and they'll, they'll, they'll warm a pew or warm a seat, but the reality is they never get trained, and because they never get trained, they never get engaged in the battle. God's called, us, God's called us to reach people with Christ. God's called us to make disciples of those that are born in our house, and then God's called us to engage them in the battle. And that's what it's all about. And, and, so, and so thirdly, what we see from Abram is we see that what he does is he takes those trained servants that are born in this house, and what he does thirdly is he arms those trained servants. He, he uses the servants that are armed. In other words, okay, the training now, you've got the training, now it's literally time to engage in the battle. And, and, and as, we, as we study this passage, we see again a great picture of ministry participation, someone who's gone from a, from a saved person to a servant and now to a soldier. They're fully engaged in the battle. And so you got if you're gonna go into battle, you gotta have some 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 armor. And so the first thing that we see is that that Abram armed his servants with a soldier's armor. And, and the New Testament application for us is out of Ephesians chapter six, right? We 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 know Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He says in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so we got to have our armor on if we're going into battle. And then verses 14 down to verse 18 tell us what that armor is. We got to have our loins girt about with truth. By the way, the word of God is truth, right? Uh, We got to have on the breastplate of righteousness. That's Christ's righteousness. We've got to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then, you're not done yet. Verse 18 says, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And so the point is, a soldier's got to have the right armor on. Without the right armor, he'll... He'll not be very successful in battle. He won't be able to engage his enemy. He won't be able to protect himself against the attacks of the enemy. And so Abram armed his trained servants. Number one, we've got to have the right armor. Number two, we've got to have the right mindset. And again, I think this is where sometimes we miss it in Christianity. We miss, we miss this point in our churches. Because we got to have a soldier's mindset as it relates to the spiritual war. First Peter chapter four. Verses 1 and 2 says this, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. In other words, because Christ suffered in the flesh, we need to arm ourselves With that same mindset, and listen, uh, if any of you grew up in a military home, or maybe some of you you guys served in the military, you understand that a soldier's mindset has to be very disciplined. It has to be very focused. It has to be very strategic. Uh, Christ suffered, and we as soldiers of Jesus Christ engaged in spiritual warfare, we have to just go ahead and settle the issue. We're going to suffer we're just going to suffer in this warfare. If anything the last year has taught us is that we should expect suffering. We should just expect it. Even this week, God has just reminded us even this morning that the battle is real, things aren't always going to go the way that we planned them strategically. And so we just got to have the right mindset. Man, this isn't happenstance or coincidence. We're in a war. Coming off one of the best discipleship conferences, if not the best Discipleship conference we've ever had. And here's the enemy attacking. Because, because what's at stake is the glory of God and the souls of men and the word of God. We better have the right armor on, and we better have the right mindset. And then fourthly, what we see in in Abram's example is we see that he had servants that could be numbered. And, you know, there were 318 of these trained armed servants. And and you would say, well, man, I've been in ministry tools and training. Uh, What's this thing about 318? What's the numerology represented with 318? Here it is. You ready? I have no clue. I have no clue what 318 means. But here's what I do know. I know that every one of those soldiers could be counted. In other words, it wasn't some abstract nebulous of people that Abraham was able to go to battle with. It was a very precise, exact number of people. It was specific. It was certifiable. Here's the point. In our church, we can probably accurately narrow down who truly is a born, trained, armed, servant of God equipped to go to battle. And that's true of this church and that's true of any other church because the number of the disciples, the number of trained men that are able to go to war, that's something that God has always looked for all the way through Scripture. And so here's the key in your notes. Listen, God is always looking for those who can be counted and those who, who, who can be counted on. God's always looking for that. If you were, and we're not, we don't have the time this morning, but if you go back to the book of Numbers, when Moses is giving instruction to the nation of Israel, he tells them to take the sum of the children of Israel, the number of their names, every male, 20 years old and upward, that are able to go forth to war in Israel. In other words, God God said you're going to be able to verify who is able to go to war. And the truth is, in our churches, we should be able to verify who truly is saved trained and armed in our churches that are able to go to war. And and the goal is that we have 100% participation, but we're not all there yet. There are some people that have yet to be trained. They've just been born again. Man, we got to disciple them. Maybe you're watching and you just got saved. Listen, you need to be discipled. But some of you have been discipled, and now it's time for you to be armed so that you can go out and engage in the battle. Even in the book of Acts, as as we study through the book of Acts, Over and over and over again, God goes on record to say, here are the number of the names of the disciples. And the point is, a true disciple of Christ can be counted. It's exact. It's precise. It's certifiable. And so the question for us is, are you a true disciple of Christ? Are you born again? Are you trained? Are you armed? And if the answer to those questions is no, then I love you and the Lord. But listen, you got to get on track. You need to get a part of the process so that you can get ready for battle. So that you can get ready for battle. And and then number five, what we see is we see that these servants were divided. And and Genesis 14 and verse 15 says this, that he divided himself. This is Abram. He divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night. And he smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And so it doesn't mean that he divided himself against his own servants. They're not, they're not warring against each other. He, what he's doing is he's splitting him, him, him and his servants up for strategic advantage. In other words, hey, I'm going to take a handful of guys and we're going to go this way. You take a handful of guys, go this way. We'll send some guys around back of, of these armies and we're going to come in on them and just destroy them. And, and so... The idea is division for strategic advantage. And that's how the body of Christ operates. Man, we're one body, but we have many different members. We see that in Romans chapter 12. You know, we're we're many members in one body. Community fellowship is one body, but we have many members. And, And the way God is going to use us is he's going to divide us up into ministry teams so that we can go and engage the adversary and that we can recover those that have been taken captive. First Corinthians 12 talks about the Spirit of God divides to every man severally as he, will, as he wills. And so it, we see this in Christ's ministry. Listen, when Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them out not by themselves. He sent them out at a minimum two by two. When we study Paul's ministry, listen, Paul was always connected to a ministry team. Sometimes it was Paul and Timothy. Sometimes it was Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus. Read Colossians 4. There's a ton of names that Paul mentions as part of his ministry team. And so here's the point. When you're, on, when you're born and trained and armed, then you can, you can be strategically positioned with other people to do ministry. Uh, a ministry principle I learned a long time ago, never do ministry alone. Never do ministry alone. That's not the way God designed it. You need other people to minister with. And so, and so God's showing us that he wants to use teams of people to go recover those captive. And then lastly, real quick, we see that these servants went to war at a very specific time. They went to war by night. They went to war by night. The Bible says in verse 15 that he divided himself against them, he and his servants, By night. And again, those of you that are students of the Bible, uh, that ought to ring a bell or be a red red light for you. We know from the book of John that when Jesus Christ was on this earth, spiritually speaking, it's daytime because Christ is the Son of Righteousness, according to Malachi, chapter four. He says in John chapter nine that I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And so Jesus Christ, when he's in the world, it's daytime. But in Acts chapter 1, after his death, burial, and resurrection, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father. In other words, he went up out of this world. And so guess what happened? It became spiritual night. It moved from spiritual day to spiritual night on this planet. And what that means is that for the last 2,000 years, we are called to battle in the night. And And I want to just tell us, church, listen, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. In other words, the day of the Lord, the second coming of Christ is at hand. We only have a short amount of time to wage this warfare. And it's been the last 2,000 years, but I'm telling you, we are at the end of the church age. We are in the last days. The night is far spent. And if we're going to get serious about this warfare and engage in the battle and see souls saved and men discipled, we have to do it now. We have to do it now because there is no more time. And once the day of the Lord comes, listen, this, this battle's over. For us, at least, the battle is over. The battle is over. And so listen, we've got to get ready we got to get prepared. God's looking for some people that are born, trained, armed, and engaged in battle. And the question is, is that you? Is that you? God put you in a place, God put you in a church, so that you can get discipled, so that you can do ministry, so that you can join like-minded people together to be about this business. Let me show you the last point. We're done this morning. I guess I could keep preaching. I mean, we're live streaming. Internet's. Never cut, cuts off. Okay, anyways, nah, you'll, you'll go eat lunch before we do that. Uh, let me give you the last point and we're done. I want to give you the victory of our warfare. The victory of our warfare. Look at verse 16. So here's what happened when Abram's servants go to war. They win. I mean, there's no greater way to say it. Listen, they just win. The Bible says he brought back all the goods, and he also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women... And the people. And and I don't know how to say it other than just to say, when we do it God's way, we'll be victorious. When we do it God's way, the captives can be delivered, the hostages can be released, the goods can be recovered. Listen, when we do it God's way and war according to the Word of God, well, He has the perfect strategy. He's got the perfect war strategy. Man, we don't need to read, read books about spiritual warfare or spiritual strategy or ministry strategy. We have the book. It's the Word of God. And God has shown us that when we'll do it the way God tells us, man, we'll see, we'll see victory. We'll see victory. And remember, that's what brings God glory. If we'll just trust Him, if we'll just get engaged in the battle. You see, the truth is it's not who, who God uses you to rescue specifically that's the point. It's that you're prepared for battle no matter what. You may reach some lost people with the gospel. Praise the Lord. You may reach some Christians that are backslidden on the Lord and away from God. Praise the Lord. You may reach some people that have been taken captive by false teachers and false doctrine and false religion. Praise the Lord. The truth is you just need to be prepared for whoever it is God brings you across. Be ready for battle so that God can use you to make a difference. And and if you're watching this morning, listen, if you're watching this morning, there may be somebody watching this morning that's not saved. You know, the truth is, you may be still captive to the adversary yourself in your sin. You've never come to Christ. You've never asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. Can I encourage you this morning, Christ loved you enough to come himself, to wage spiritual warfare against the devil and sin and death and hell. Christ came to deliver you from the power of the adversary. And through Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven of your sin. You can do that today by asking Christ to save you from your sin. But listen, many of us that are watching this morning, a lot of us are saved. The truth is we're saved. We have been born into the house of God. The question for us is, are we really engaged in the spiritual battle? In other words, if we've been born again, and we're in the house of God, have we been trained? Have we committed our life to be discipled? That's where it starts. Because, listen, being saved is great, but that's not the point of your existence. That's not the point of your salvation. The point of your salvation is to make disciples of all nations, to bring Jesus Christ glory from your life. And so God wants you to be trained. And, listen, if you've been trained, the question is, are you armed? In other words, if you've been discipled, Man, are you armed with the whole armor of God? Do you have a soldier's mindset? Are you engaging in the battle? Those that are trained, man, ought to be itching to get in the fight and to be a part of what God's doing in this world. And so, you know, my prayer for our church is, number one, that, that we never lose hope and, and sight of evangelism. And number two, we never lose hope and sight of discipleship within our church. We need to constantly be training so that we can send soldiers out to see those taken hostage recovered. And so that's my prayer for our church. And so thank you for the morning. Let me pray us out uh, this morning, and I hope you guys have a great day in the Lord.